Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Chris Evans here. A big thank you for downloading our Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up on this week's edition of The Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky, Damien Lewis chats playing Steve McQueen in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and working with Quentin Tarantino. Michael Owen relives his famous goal against Argentina in the 1998 World Cup, as well as telling us about being told off by... The Queen? Alexander Armstrong gives us the lowdown on his first ever one-man show, All Mouth and Some Trousers, and Jay Renner tells us about his new show and book, My Last Supper. Plus loads more great guests. Enjoy, my friends, enjoy. Mission Impossible, whatever. James Bond, enjoy your martini, mate. In the new History Channel documentary <laughs> series, Spy Wars, our next guest gets under the skin of the world's most remarkable true spy stories. Please welcome the hunk from Homeland, the blue-eyed beauty from Billions. It's the dashing, the debonair, Damien Lewis. Morning, Damien. <laughs> How are we? He couldn't be here, but I, I came instead. <laughs> Hello. It's very nice to see you. It's nice to see you. Sorry, Sorry. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having me back. You're very welcome. Uh, I, saw, I saw you last night out of nowhere. I went on this spontaneous trip to the West End, uh, to Seoul, and I took in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And there you are as Steve McQueen, for heaven's sake. That is correct. So tell, tell us about oh. how, how did that happen? Where, how long were you with Quentin Tarantino and his gang for? Where were you? Well, I was working in New York and <laughs> a man called Quentin called me. Uh, and he um, yeah, invited me out to L.A. to play Steve McQueen, uh, which, was, uh, which was a fun phone call to get, as you can imagine, but also quite, quite a nerve-wracking one. Um, and so I went out and spent three or four days at the Playboy Mansion uh, playing Steve McQueen, surrounded by... You know, the lovely Margot Robbie and Leo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. Actually, I didn't do anything with Brad in the end. Uh, he gave me a nice rap gift, though. He's a nice man. He's very, um, they're, they're all a nice gang. That gang are a good gang, they aren't are they? They are a really lovely group of people. They look after each other. Yeah, they do. And uh, and uh, no ego there at all. Everyone just sitting on the side of a road in their actors' chairs talking about the scenes and well, how you can't get it right and how we're going to do the next scene. And it was it was lovely. It was It was very normal. And Quentin's fantastic larger than life eccentric character who is just a super aficionado uber fan of film have you, know. have you seen the film i have what do you think i think it's absolutely beautiful it's genius I, isn't it it's it, it's intimate and, and i sorry it's a cliche intimate and yet epic it feels like an epic bit of filmmaking did you have any idea you looked as much like steve mcqueen as they've made you look like steve mcqueen <laughs> Jeez, you look exactly, he put me, he put me exactly in the way. like first, Well, first of all, I said to him, he said, I want, I want the La Mans. La Mans, Steve McQueen, which is like 72, 73. I said, no, he's got that awful shaggy curly hair. And they, they I said, why, why can't I be Bullet McQueen, you yeah. know, five minutes, five years earlier? With the, well, it's Homeland McQueen in a way, isn't it? It's, yeah, it actually, actually, it is a bit. So they put me in, they put me in this week and I said, but they start, I, I look like John Bon Jovi <laughs> playing Robert Redford <laughs> trying to play Steve McQueen. This is not going to work. Anyway, they uh, they pulled it off. Um, but he, did, he, I think he did that on purpose 
because he didn't want you to look exactly like Steve McQueen and you look a bit like a cartoon Steve McQueen. Because what I did was I, I reframed... Also, I look like the older Steve McQueen, which I think well, he didn't is get probably that more accurate. He didn't get that old anyway, did he? But, but um, your, your, what I did is I reframed your Vizog last night in the cinema so I couldn't see the hair to see how much you really did. And without that, it's so unfair because I think that he realised you look so good as Steve McQueen. He thought, I can't have him looking that good. And he had to shag you up a little bit. I tell you a little secret. There is a scene in that we shot that is not in the movie. Right. And he, met, I said, why did you cut that scene? That was the great scene. He said, oh, the movie was too long, to your point. Yes. Yeah, he says, too long. We needed to get to the action. You know, story is king. It just, it was an incredible scene between you and Leo, but we, we just, the story, was, it was holding up the story. It was right. my fault. I shouldn't have written it. I shouldn't have put it there. I was going, you're kidding me. He said, but i got to tell you, when we first saw it on the screen, we all went, wow, that's Steve McQueen. I said, no, you're just making it worse. <laughs> what was the scene that was cut? What, was, what, was, what went on in it? I can't tell you. It will cut. It, he said, because Quentin always does a recut. Right. So he, he, he also had to make a commercial cut. It was, it was his own cut, but it is actually a studio cut that needs to go out to the world. Right. And then... And then he, you know, because he's Quentin, he gets to make the director's cut as well. So yeah. we'll see the director's cut somewhere at some point. Well, I know that the film was released in the UK on August the 12th. It was released in July in the US. And where are we now? So nearly a month later, the cinema was packed. Was it? Absolutely packed. That's good a, to hear. There was a, cu- a couple of spare seats for the se- uh, 6.50 showing of this movie on a Tuesday night. It's not bad, is it? No, it's, it's his highest-grossing movie to date. Is it really? Yeah. Uh, right, but you don't want to talk about any of this. Damien Lewis, Spy Wars, uh, premieres on the History Channel. Uh, that's Channel 130 on Sky, episode 1S, uh, Monday the 7th of October at 9pm. There are eight of these. Um, Damien uh, narrates it. He also appears in it. Um, it's it's fascinating. It's real. Um, what of the spy world and you? Have you come close to it? You know, I have. Have you? Yeah, have you? Have you? Yeah. My, my, well, I'll tell have you. you. My, my brother-in-law's a spy. What? <laughs> <laughs> right. Not anymore, he is. No, he is. <laughs> he is a spy. <laughs> We're now declared. Yes, and it's the it's the greatest cover ever. His stupid his stupid brother-in-law bangs on about it all the time on the radio. So obviously it can't be true, but it is true. Yes, it is true. But that's what's fascinating about uh, the embassies in each in each. Here city. we go. Come on, come you, on now. You have a declared yes. You have a declared diplomatic yes, officer, yes, and then you, you have do. undeclared. Yes, you do diplomatic officers, and those are the guys doing all the naughty stuff. Um, uh, no, I I I have a friend of mine who was approached. <laughs> By MI6 out of university. Right. A uh, couple of people I know, actually. Yeah. Um, he became a successful um, spy novelist, actually. Um, Charles Cumming. Why not? I'll plug you, Charlie. There you are. There's a little plug for you. <laughs> um, and he's a very successful novelist writer now, writing spy novels. But um, I, um, no, I was never approached. Um, not not smart enough, not enough languages. But... Um, not yet. Um you know, uh, obviously, I I I spent a lot of time with the CIA. Visited Langley when I was doing Homeland. I can tell you love this. I'm very, you're so glad you did it, aren't you? It's been it's been fascinating. It's good for I, you, mate. you know, it's not my. I wouldn't say it's my space. I'm not going. I'm, I'm not going to turn into Michael Palin. I I don't want to. <laughs> I don't, I mean, well, Which give me time. Give me time. There are worse things. G- give me time. Quite, quite. Uh, but you know, uh, you know, uh, he's the doyen of it, and he's he's. He's he's made it a speciality. You know, he's brilliant at it. But I'm, 
No, I'm I'm an actor. I'm not. I don't well, feel I I'm it. a presenter. I loved it. I loved it. Honestly, I've not seen them all. I've only seen the first one, but I watched the others. I promise. Uh, Damien Lewis, Spy Wars, premiering on uh, Sky's History Channel. Uh, that's Channel One Three Zero. Episode One airs on Monday, seventh of October at nine p.m. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Even if you're a Newcastle fan that's been reading the internet recently, you can't deny he was something of a special player. His new autobiography, Reboot, My Life, My Time, doesn't hold back on his time at the highest level of football, ladies and gentlemen. And please welcome one of the beautiful game's finest. It's Michael Owen. Good morning, Michael. Reboot my life, my time, out now in Harburg. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm very well. Now, you've just been through the mill on TalkSport with Alan Brazil, whose co-host this morning is Sam Allardyce. Now, tell us why that got a bit sticky for a moment or two. <laughs> well, there was a little piece in my book where, I, well, I wasn't too complimentary to big Sam, I think. About what? Um, Concerning well, just, what? To be honest, I was going through a period of my career where, you know, injuries were starting to catch up with me and I wasn't the player I was, you know, towards the end of my career. And and unfortunately, he was the manager at the time and, you know, it wasn't great, let's put it that way. I wasn't playing too much and he was frustrated that I wasn't playing and I had a little bit of a pop at his training sessions and things like that. Your your, your first big game, your, the, biggest, the, the biggest game of your teenage life. Tell us about that because I remember watching it. Well, I'd had a season at Liverpool um, in the first team and, and uh, did particularly well. I was an, I was a, a player that came through early and burst on the scene and did all my best work probably in the first six or seven years yep. of my career. And then yeah, it was a bit of a hang-on for dear life for, for the second half of my career as my body was falling apart. Um, but the big one that announced me to the world was probably at the end of that first season was against Argentina in the World Cup in 1998. And as an 18-year-old, Managed to muscle my way into the team. Teddy Sheringham and Alan Shearer were the were the first two, or the, they were the, the two strikers. I came on against Romania, scored a goal, kept my place in the team, and then, of course, uh, the Argentina game was the big one where most people will remember me. You dribbled back. round the entire Argentina team <laughs> and scored a goal. It was, I mean... That was, I have to say, whenever I read a sporting biography, I always start, you know, I was going, oh, I'm going to flick to, I, I obviously, I flicked to that goal. And then I read the whole thing. And by the way, I told you as you came in, I loved the book. Thank you. But you seem to love that goal less than, say, Chris and I did. <laughs> well, because it was very, I think it was normal. It sounds stupid, but that's what I did when yeah, I was course. a kid. I didn't I feel, it, I and I look back now in my career and think, wow, even at 27. And that was the beauty of it. Because I probably couldn't have scored it for the second half of my career. I I didn't have that fearless, you know, mindset. Well, fearless, the fearlessness, fearlessness is is different, isn't it? Because there's bravery. Now, bravery is contemplate. So if you contemplate something, you have to spend time contemplating it. And whether that's a year or half a second, it takes away from the moment. But if you're fearless, you're in the moment. And sometimes, if you're fearless and everybody else is a bit fearful, you're ahead of time. And you were ahead of time in that particular move. Exactly. I couldn't have scored it, I don't think, at any other part of my career. Because when you're young, <laughs> you don't care, do you? You don't care. I didn't well, you even don't know, know how to care. No, I didn't even know who we were playing against. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. I knew he was Argentina, but in terms of players... Yeah, you said you hadn't heard of them. No. And I fast forward <laughs> to the end of my career and I'm thinking, right, who am I playing against? Oh, no, he's a bit big. He's a bit strong. I'll play on the other centre-half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go on the weaker side. And, but at 18, caught you think that everyone's scared of you or you just go out and do it. I mean, if you could bottle that 
fearlessness. It's the same in yeah. music, you know. Yeah. When kids write music, when teenage groups write music, you know, in the early twenties, it just flows out of them. It is fearless. It's yeah. because it's you know, life hasn't tainted you. You know, um, mistakes haven't tainted you. Over analysis hasn't tainted you. You just go out there. You're like a flower. Flowers aren't told how to flower. They just do. That's exactly how I how, how I felt. It's it's an amazing feeling, and the problem is you just think about it too much. The older you get, the more <laughs> things come into your brain, and you think more. It's it's better just to do it off the cuff. Can you please tell us a story about you being told off by the Queen? <laughs> you have read my book. Oh, this was embarrassing. I don't know if I was told off, but my wife is adamant that I was. But I was fortunate enough and honoured to be asked to go to Royal Ascot and to be part of the royal procession. So you love your horses. I love them. Yeah, you absolutely. We, love yeah, your horses. we train a lot of uh, race horses, and Royal Ascot is the is the World Cup, so to speak, of uh, of of horse racing in this country. So went to um, Windsor Castle for lunch with the Queen. There was about a dozen people that had been invited. Me and my wife, and and uh, obviously ten others. Anyway, that was all fantastic. We then um, go down into the the big courtyard. We jump into the, uh, these cars and we drive about two or three miles down towards Ascot. Then we get out of the cars onto the carriages. We go up the up the straight. Um, the national anthem plays. It's all amazing. We've it's like told. you're in one of the carriages going yeah, up Royal Ascot. Amazing. Absolute amazing it is. And but we've been told before all this, you know, the etiquette. So when you by the, by the Queen, when she does this, you do that. You know, take your hat off if she talks to you, if you're in a vicinity, etc. So, come into the parade ring. We have as soon as the queen gets off her carriage and she sort of inspects the horses and she'll have a wander round, and then as soon as she walks towards the royal lift, sweep around, just sweep round, and she goes first and, and follow in. So anyway, this happens, and as we start sweeping, I found myself out of the twelve guests. I'm near the front, so the queen said, and I'm sort of hesitant to to go into the into the lift but she starts calling us all over saying come on come on we can all fit in so i go in i don't get too close and then she says and of course i take my hat off because now i'm close to her and she's talking yeah, to you me. would this is etiquette yeah and <laughs> she's calling for everybody to come in she said no come on we can all fit in we can all fit in so i'm now having to shuffle near the queen and i've got my hat off and she looked down at my hat and looked at me from about a yard away and said if you put your hat back on we might all have a bit more room in this lift <laughs> So, of course, my wife is on the other side of me, digging me in my ribs, saying, you've just been, you've been whatever by the Queen. Next stop, the Tower of London. Exactly. It's just there. Yeah. So um, I thought I was doing the right thing, but obviously not. Right. Well, Michael, well done. Yes. Everybody's talking about your book, aren't they? Yeah, I'd like to think it's quite honest. No, it's really very honest. Really it's really it's honest. honest where it doesn't need to be, which is why yeah. people are talking about it. I suppose And if you're so. going to write a book, write a book. You know? Exactly. Congratulations. Exactly. Uh, what are you doing for the rest of the day? Uh, I'm just going to spend a bit of time down the smoke down here and uh, and then toddle off home. I mean, my wife's away, so I've got three kids to look after at home. I was going to say, so you need to clear the building by 10 o'clock because Brazil finishes at 10 o'clock. Yes. And you know what can happen. Yes, then. I'll end up in a pub somewhere. Yeah, for yeah. the rest of your life. <laughs> um, OK, thank you, Michael Owen. His book, uh, Reboot My Life, My Time, out now in hardback. Well done, Michael. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. His new book, My Last Supper, is the story of one hungry man in eight courses. It's the <laughs> desert island discs for the culinary connoisseur, the bistro bible for vegans, vegetarians and carnivores alike. Please welcome a delicious starter, main and dessert all rolled into one. It's the ravishing Jay Rayner. Good morning, oh, Jay. What an intro, It's Chris. pretty good, wasn't it?
it. Yeah, no, no, that was top. Can uh-huh. I can I hire him just to stand next you to my desk? You can hire him. You'll never get rid of him. Every tell time you. I sit down, he can read that. Uh, Jay, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. It's lovely to see you. Your me. book is hilarious. Oh, thank you. It's hilarious. It's informative. It's enlightening. It's instructive. It's uh, it's fantastic. Um, let's let's get into it straight away. So uh, let's get into some fun facts that are in the book. Uh, lots of tips, lots of sneaky uh, covert tips on cooking. Lots of fantastic stories from your life. Uh, naughty stories. Uh, stories of adventure and intrigue uh, and uh, escapades. Tell us about um, Parmesan cheese in the 70s smelling like vomit and why that might be the case. Well, it's not just that it might be. They, um, both vomit and, and <laughs> finely ground Parmesan cheese, they share a, um, a flavour uh, compound. Um, and they do literally have the same compounds in them. It's a chemical uh, compound, and it's that's a why they smell compound. the same. And, th- and that's why, I mean, you have to grate, it's, it, it's that grated dry stuff. You and I, we are the same age, almost literally the yes, same yes, age. Yes, yes. And we remember that back in the 70s, early 80s, Parmesan turned up looking like dust. Yeah, it it's was the kind dust. of thing, you know, if you had it in a bag going through uh, going through an airport, you'd probably be taken aside and yeah. given a, a, an intimate examination. But it's... <laughs> um, it, <laughs> It just has that that stench, and it's not. Oh, that smells a bit like. It's exactly what it smells. I don't know what the name of the compound is, but it's there. And that explains so much, doesn't Doesn't it? it? So much. Oh, right. Right. uh, So, uh, Jay, your last supper. um, You decide on what your last supper is, and then you think, well, hang on a minute. I know all these ingredients because I've been uh, investigating them and writing about them for the last uh, almost forty years. So you went around. You went around your mind, your your history, and you started to harvest the best bits of what you'd want in your last supper. Yeah, no, I did exactly. But uh, I also felt. it was important to go out and find the best versions of them, or the ones that suited. So the one thing it has to be said is this is not the perfect meal. It's not a menu recommendation either. Yeah. This is mine. But I wanted <laughs> to kind of go looking for them. So I go all over the world. I mean, you know, at one point I say I, I try a terrible version of a dessert in Paris and I'm so infuriated I immediately fly to Tokyo. <laughs> it's not exactly what happened. I took the family on holiday to Japan, but I thought it sounded funny. It sounded great. <laughs> I bought it anyway. But, but no, I thought, you know, you've got to go and look into these. So there's the nerdy food stuff in there. Jay's book, Jay Rennes, uh, My Last Supper. It does uh, include a playlist. It includes several recipes, uh, some fantastic autobiographical stories. Um, Jay's mum, famously, was... Um, Claire Rayner, the Britain's first agony animal. No, almost. not the first, because I think Marge was ahead. And actually, if you go back, um, Daniel Defoe, who wrote Robinson Crusoe in the 18th century. Did he have a go? He had a go. <laughs> uh, he, he is officially the first person to write a problem column in, a, in, a, in the public prints. Yeah, Daniel Defoe, 1780-something. Um, I wonder but, why Graham Norton was at it. So yeah, you know, there's a, there's a fine lineage. The difference, I have to say, between the modern ones and people like my old mum was she answered every single letter that came she in. She did, and they came in their truckloads to your house? They did, in big sackfuls, and sometimes interesting you things You said much of the soundtrack of your childhood was the, the tapping away of typewriters. It really was. So it was, a, it was a home business, and there would be all these assistants and secretaries banging away at, at typing out the answers that she dictated, based on a, about 20 form letters, which they then... Uh, add little bits to um, because you know there were basically only 20 problems in the world Chris and uh, <laughs> there's only seven stories in the yeah, world and here's another one of them and um, you ended up on the front page when you were a kid yeah no I got I mean actually this is quite a good story because it relates to the building we're in in right. a way because national newspapers I got thrown out of school because I might have been a bit naughty at a party and got uh, what's the word really stoned when I was about 17. And, and sort of busted. We got busted yes. and all of that. And because of who my mum was, it ended up on the front page of all the papers. And when I became a journalist after university, I'd worked as a student journalist, and I managed to get placements at all the papers and uh, because they wanted people who knew about students. 
I was worried that the papers would find out about this. So I went around the cuttings <laughs> libraries. <laughs> I went around the cuttings yeah. libraries in the days when they were still cutting things out yeah, on yeah. paper. Yeah. And I pulled the file on myself. They all had one. Yeah. And then I removed all the cuttings on my drugs bust so that nobody could ever find it. I've got the only paper collection as far as I know. But at that time, did you ever think you'd then volunteer the story in a book yourself? <laughs> I... No, is the answer. <laughs> no, not necessarily. Not when I was 20, 22. Of course, no. of course. But, you know, now's the time. I think it's fine. Because yeah, you felt the fit and couldn't carry on, and now it's the opposite. But your mum at the time, people say, oh, what's she going to do? She's Claire in. She's like the perfect mum. She's she's the agony, uh, agony aunt of the nation. But, of course, uh, she, she made she made hay of it, didn't she? She said, look, these things happen. He's a teenage kid. Yeah, she actually she expressed a certain amount of guilt which was that I was not uh, as a teenager allowed to screw up in private yeah. when I screwed up because of her yeah. I ended up as I say being all over the, um, the the billboards for the for the evening standard yeah. you know problem son of agony claire and, and now you're a writer of some renown uh, what was the first the first meal you ever reviewed and for what paper how long was the article right the first meal I ever reviewed it was on a comp so it doesn't really count but it but it was uh, was a restaurant called Manfred's in Leeds. Right, so that because, means you get a free meal if you review it, basically. Yeah. So I was the editor of the student paper, and I decided, and this kind of shows where I was heading, even though I had no ambition to be a restaurant critic at all in those days, I just wanted to be a, a writer, a journalist, I did an entire edition dedicated to food. And we spread out across the city and reviewed as many of the restaurants as we could. And happily, the chef was still cooking up to, I think he may even be now, Bon Apps, it's called, in Otley. And I went back and reviewed it again. There's so much to talk about in your book. We are running out of time. I right. want to talk about your, your live tour, which is, it started last night. It, it, is, it my, is it the My Last Supper Last Tour, uh, tour as well? Yeah, so I, I've been doing one-man shows for quite a while now. Um, but mostly it was to avoid sitting on discussion panels at literary festivals, because I hate them. And I thought, if I come up with a one-man show... Um, and so I use audiovisual stuff right. as a kind of second performer on stage. Okay. And this one is built around five of the stories from the book. Love it. And how they link into the food with a lot of video. And then I ask the audience to tell me what their Last Supper dishes would be. And we discuss that at the beginning of the second half, which is a full-on Q&A. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's all over the country. Birmingham, Nottingham, Bristol, Manchester. And if you go to my website, jrayner.co.uk. Nice. I know. Do you like the way I did that? Love all, it, love it. All the links are there. But I want people to buy the book because it is the it's the funniest book I've read all year. We've and we read loads of books on the show, and it's it's brilliant, Jay. It's absolutely brilliant. Jay Ray and My Last Supper. There's so much more to it than we've had time to talk about this morning. It's got it's it's got a real sort of it's got a couple of themes to it. It's got like an a and a, a main arc, a, a secondary arc, and a third arc. It's it's fantastic. It's. Uh, it's great. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. We've heard from three guests already, but there's loads more still to come. Author Matthew Side discusses being on the panel that advises the England football team. Strictly superstar Ore Aduba talks his new stage musical, Curtains. And Oliver Jeffers chats about his new illustrated book, The Fate of Fausto. All that and more, but first, Dapper Dave, who's next? <laughs> 
There's no business like show business for our next guest. From sketch shows to quiz shows, from classical music to kids' TV, there's seemingly nothing he can't do. His first ever one-man show, All Mouth and Some Trousers, starts in November, and here to tell us all about it is the force of nature himself, Alexander Armstrong. Morning, Alexander. Good morning. Lovely to be here. Uh, well, you, see, we describe you there as the force of nature, which is Alexander Armstrong. I would say you are the fearless force of nature. Uh, the last time you were on the show, you were talking about your singing tour yes. uh, with your band, um, yes. which, how many days did you play? loads oh, I mean I don't know we did a lot on 50 that. 60 something, something like that oh it was a lot yeah loads yeah and now you're going on a talking tour talking and, and you you seem to you just wear all this I would say today's show is we're talking about stretching yourself but not stressing yourself stretching everything about your life is good but when that becomes stressed that's bad right yes where are you when it comes to stretching oh. and stressing and you just going on a talking tour in November here well, we go the thing is you can't do the stretching without a bit of stressing that's the thing because after about one time about three nights into the war Maps for the tour. I'll right. be having such a nice time, and I'll be really enjoying. It. Right now, it's peak peak stress. So, what what kind of talking tour is it? Autobiographical? Well, it is, is kind of. It's a stand up, really. I mean, it's not. It's not me with a with a two fingers of whiskey and a button back chair saying, yeah. Yeah, "I'll tell you another story." It's not that. It's not an anecdotal tour. So, it's, what is uh, it? What is it? It's stand up, really. It's just me. It's just music. I've kind of been doing stand up for quite a long you time. You have. Now, you have. Have you ever in, done one on such way. a grand scale though? No. Right. Never have. I've never done, I've never written a show. I tend to do those kind of after-dinner type stand-ups, which are kind of 20 minutes long. Which is good. Which is good. Yeah, so you comp- you've compartmentalised it. It's funny because yeah. yesterday after the show, Billy Connolly came in for an interview. <sighs> I know, I know, Alexander, I know. I know a thousand no's. I'm with you all the way. Yeah. He is it. He is it. Genuinely. There's, there's Robin Williams and there's him, and they were best mates, and they went about their business in a very similar fashion because they neither of them ever wrote a routine, ever. Billy Connolly never wrote a routine. Can you imagine that? He used to go on on tours. His gigs were between three and four hours long, and he had a shopping list of eight to ten subjects, which were <laughs> one-word subjects, and he went on world tours with this. And Robin Williams did similar, and they just started to talk. He'd often forget where he was. Um, he didn't do encores, but if he, if he, he said, well, if I thought it was going well, I'd do another hour. <laughs> you know. He said, and he said, um, I remember in New Zealand... It was half 11. I said, shall we go until tomorrow? And there's a massive cheer. And then we went on. And then there was a big bong and we thought there was an explosion. But it was the, the, the town bell striking midnight and the audience went crazy. <laughs> and this was without a script. you know. And, and he and Rodman also shared the fact that they were both petrified before mm. they went on stage. Mm. How did they do that? What does that make you think when you think of well. how you do it? I mean, it's a, it's a quite, quite initially quite a liberating thought that actually, but because um, well, Billy Connolly was a was really a folk musician to start with, because he would go on with a guitar, and the idea was he was going to do a set list of of songs, and he would just play a couple of chords, and then he'd go into another story, and he'd end up not doing any singing at all, so he ditched the guitar, and I think that's kind of. I guess that's where it's come from. Well, you you get into that frame of mind where you you just you amble about. You yeah. find the things that amuse you. So that's how Thor and Goliath yeah. go about their business. How, yeah. how does Xander Armstrong go about his? Um, well, when I do, when I've done so far, I tend to have I'll have notes on a piece of card. That's right. where I'll do it. But I've you know I've worked out how I want to get it out. What kind of I stuff wanna... do you talk about? What kind of well, stuff? Uh, what are you hinted on? I mean, it's it's. <laughs> It's a lot of it hang, hangs on. I'm going to focus on my early career, my sort of my, how I how I found Your my way around career exactly, and the, the the foothills of a show business career. Um, and actually, I'm quite a lot about 
voiceovers because I used to do I was I was Mr. Voiceover for about 15 years. I used to, that was my living basically before anyone knew who I was and I could you know before no one knew my voice. I spent about 5 hours a day just hawking products and it was it was just a mad world and it was funny it was full of these mad people but yeah. nobody really nobody's really f- thrown open the door on that one i think it's a really good there's quite a funny expose and people love it. hearing about the business oh, don't they breaking down they the do. fourth wall yeah, i do yeah, i do and yeah. i always did even before i was in it yeah yeah i mean i think that so there's a lot of that but there's a lot of other bits and pieces there's quite a lot of silly stuff there's a lot of there's bits of fairly surreal bits and pieces and there's yeah just bits about my Things from life. It's not a chronology, but just little things I'll lift out, and um, yeah, we'll see how we we'll see how we get on. Well, you seem quite confident, doesn't you? Do you think so? You have that air of it's going to be okay, but everything you do is okay, isn't it? I think. Well, do you know what? But this is this is returning to something I really love. Right. I mean, this is absolutely this is thoroughly me. Right. This is entirely me, okay. and it's my comedy and I get characters, that. and Good it's for you. It's stuff I love. All right, well, if you want to go see him, All Mouth and Some Trousers. Great Mm. title. Thanks. And they have to be good nowadays, the titles, don't (laughs) they? Uh, All Mouth and Some Trousers. Uh, Tickets available now. AlexanderArmstrongTour.com. It looks lovely, that. AlexanderArmstrongTour.com. Aesthetically very pleasing. Um, Quite long. It's quite long. Alexander Armstrong on tour. <laughs> dot, com. dot com. That's it. Um, all math and some trousers ended up as the title. Um, t- tell us, w- w- any any phrases coming close to that? Uh, oh, we had a few. We had a few. I don't know. I'm a big Lord Fauntleroy. I was quite keen on that one, but um, we didn't. <laughs> Maybe that for another day. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. You know how those stupid title discussions. We've had it. Who do you have series. them with? Um, there's a lovely guy called Owen Lewis who's right. uh, who's going to be directing me. Right. I'm meeting up with him next week for our first week of direction. Okay. Will there be a tour bus? Uh, I don't. Come on. Be, get yourself a tour a bus. Was, get yourself a tour bus for the last week. We're not grand enough. Doesn't that. matter. Just go for, just for the, a week. Come on. Why don't you do the last week? Raging drunk. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Uh, it would be fun. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we will. Say it like you mean it. Come on. Will, yes, will we Osmond will, turn up it. any of these? Yeah, will, will Osmond. I doubt it. Right. He gets far too much of me. Couldn't he be sitting in the corner explaining some of the jokes that people didn't understand or perhaps quite nice, correcting sir. part of the joke that wasn't right? It's not or... a bad. I could have a little inflatable Osmond <laughs> at a desk in the corner with, uh, yeah, with a, a little. That's so funny because Osmond's the only inflatable of whom it would be smaller than the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Uh, brilliant. Um, thank you so much for being here. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. He's the silky voiced British superstar that's taken Hollywood by storm. His outstanding new Sky One series, Temple, starts tonight at 9 pm. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man that could read the phone book and have you drooling. It's the one and only Mr. Mark Strong. Good morning, Marco. Uh, buongiorno, Marco Giuseppe Salasolia. How are you today, Mark? No, I'm fine. I'm fine. A little bit sleepy. It's the first day, actually, of, uh, of filming on a new thing. And uh, I had a terrible night's sleep, actually, which I always do the day before I start a new job. But it's just ironic that uh, it meant I couldn't be with you. It's the most showbiz reason ever to not attend an interview in person for your brand new blockbuster uh, series on Sky, your Sky Original Temple, to go to the first day of shooting a a, a huge cinematic motion picture. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I'm on my way there now. I'm actually in the car. I'm, I'm off to uh, Shepparton. Yeah, I'd rather be with you, to be honest. All episodes of Temple are available now to Sky customers. And episode one is available to everyone via the Virgin Radio website from five o'clock this morning. So people are watching it as we speak, Mark. So we'll have some uh, some reviews right fresh off the bat. I've seen it. I love it. Now, you saw the original. Um, and so tell us about that and tell us about seeing it. And then tell us about wondering how, how can we bag that for Britain? 
Well, the good thing to know about it is that it's, it's actually an adaptation of a nought rather than a remake. A remake suggests that we've copied it. Actually, a, a playwright called Marco Rowe, an Irish playwright, has taken it and adapted it into a much more a kind of Britain-friendly version. We're, we're more into characters over here, I think, rather than just plot lines. Uh, the Norwegian version was, was quite... Um, it was quite a kind of strong narrative, and ours is much more about lovable characters that hopefully you, you get to fall in love with over the course of the eight episodes. But I was literally on the sofa watching it with my wife, who's a producer, and she, she suggested that it would be a great thing to remake. And so she had us on a plane two days later over to Oslo, where we met the guys who made it, and uh, we came back with the rights. Now, I, I think Daniel Milton, he's so interesting as a character because he seems to be permanently bewildered, frustrated, anxious... <laughs> frightened and fearless at the same time and sort of morally amoral. Yeah, he's a kind of regular guy. You know, he's an everyman. He's a, a surgeon. He's having a very comfortable life. You know, he's married with a daughter. Everything's fine. And then his wife gets sick and everything changes. And suddenly, for love, he has to make a number of decisions. And uh, those decisions are ethically and morally sometimes very dubious, which means he's the kind of character that I love playing most because what it does is it plays with the audience's expectations. You know, he's not a bad guy, he's not a good guy, he's a little bit of both. And over the course of the whole series, I think you fall in and out of love with him and you agree sometimes with him and sometimes you don't. And uh, that keeps people, um, and hopefully the story, interesting. The way that he's driven, the reasons that he's driven for, almost in a way, liberate him from the normal shackles of, of, well, responsibility, in a way. Yeah, because he's doing it for love. Yeah. I think that's the point. We didn't want to make a dark drama about some, you know, dark events. We actually wanted to make something that was a little, you know, lighter. And and there is, uh, love is at the centre of everything that he does. He's doing it because he so adores his wife that he'll do anything, literally, to save her. And um, and we have a lovely sort of thread of humour through the series as well. That's another thing. (laughs) It's really funny. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a lovely kind of dry wit to it that only... You know, Mark as an Irishman, the playwright, has this ability to kind of uh, write scenes that are tragic, but at the same time, you find yourself smiling. Uh, so you're on your way to Shepparton now, as we speak. When you get there, what happens? Give us, run us through the first hour. OK, so day one, I'll arrive. I'm, with, I'm in the car with Eddie, my driver, who's a very lovely guy. He'll drop me off uh, right by my uh, dressing room, and there'll, no doubt there'll be a second assistant director who'll come out, say hello, uh, maybe offer me a cup of tea if I'm lucky. Then they'll show me <laughs> to my dressing room and in there will be um, probably the, the costume people who will show me what I'm wearing today and uh, will probably try it on because it's the first time I've worn it. And then no doubt a number of people will come by just to make sure everything's okay. And uh, once we're ready to go and I've been through makeup, uh, I'll be ready to go on set and someone will take me there and we'll kick off with the first scene. First scene of the, a brand new movie? Yeah, absolutely. Can we say what it is? Yeah, yeah, it's Cruella. Disney are making a, a remake, an origin story of the Cruella de Vil story. So Emma Stone plays uh, Cruella and Emma Thompson is a character called the Baroness. And they have a kind of fashion off over the course of the movie because the young Cruella is really into fashion. And the Baroness is the doyenne of fashion. And they're at loggerheads for the movie. And there's a number of revelations that happen that teach you the story of where um, Cruella de Vil originated. And what's your first line in the movie? Um, today, my line is something along the lines of uh, coincidence. The young people always dress like that because she's, 
she's appalled by something that she sees. Right. And, um, and I tell her that it's just a coincidence and not to worry. I'm kind of her, her sidekick, her henchman. It's a character called John the Valet, who you, is present throughout the movie, and you're, you're not quite sure about... Uh, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? You're not quite sure whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. <laughs> um, OK, with his sartorial observation there, is he slightly camp? He could be, but I don't think that's what they're going for. There was a, there was a, I was thinking Tiny Little French Moustache and a Mincing Walk, but they didn't buy it. Okay. <laughs> All right, Mark, it's, it's great to talk to you. And you, you, you sound very awake, so you, as always, Mark Strong, the professional. 6, 6.21 was signing off, uh, pre-recording this interview in the morning. What time did you go to bed to get up at silly o'clock last night? I had an early night last night. I was in bed by about half nine, but I had a terrible morning. I woke up at three, and I've been tossing and turning since three. Because I always get very nervous before I start a new job, and it, it runs through your mind, and you're hoping that everything's going to be okay, and that you've done all your lines. But yeah, I am awake, and I'm, and I'm ready to go. And how long will this movie take to shoot? I think it shoots until December, but I'm... I'm on it until about mid-November. All right, so if we want you back for a Temple interview, then you might be available. Oh, my God, I'm, I'll be there. <laughs> I feel so terrible. I feel so terrible that I'm not there in person today. Um, I'd be really happy to come in. And anyway, whenever I come and chat to you, I have such a great time. Mark, don't worry about it. It's just fun to talk to you anyway. And congratulations, Temple is ace. Oh, thanks, Chris. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. He's a towering colossus of both the written word and table tennis. He's produced more insightful <laughs> chapters than you've had hot dinners, and his new work is absolutely no exception. Please welcome the author of the fabulous Rebel Ideas, The Power of Diverse Thinking. It's the meticulous Matthew Syed. Good morning, Matthew. Whoa, thank you. Thank you. Uh, nice book, nice cover. I'm obsessed with covers, book covers. Uh, lots of authors aren't, are you? I like that one. Yeah, I really, They're really so like important, it. They're so important, because I buy lots of books. We get lots of books sent into the show. But I hang out in bookshops a lot. They're so important nowadays. And the covers. funny thing about it is when the publisher says, what do you think for the book cover? And you have these kind of different thoughts that turn out to be wildly conventional. And then you get an actual designer, a creative person yeah. coming along. And that, I, I think it really works, because it captures the idea of the book. Get different ideas, mm. different perspectives, different insights. Then you get the light bulb moment. Right. So Matthew Syed's The Power of Diverse Thinking, Rebel Ideas. I've been fascinated by Edward de Bono for years the king of alternative thinking how close do you get to him uh, what can we get out of your book well he is a massively significant inspiration for me but the thing that made me think about the book is you've got this internet yeah. and Tim Berners-Lee the idea was to bring scientists together to share ideas and in theory at the click of a mouse you can be connected to virtually anyone on the planet and it was supposed to be about diversity and interconnectedness. And yet what has happened, weirdly, is you get these curious things called echo chambers, where people are surrounding themselves with people who think in the same way, come from the same social background. And there's something called the filter bubble, where the algorithms inside Google search invisibly personalise your searches. So again, you're seeing more of what you want to see. And I think that's a disaster, because really you want to connect with people who are different. doesn't mean you agree with what they say, but it's going to spark new ideas and I think you do become more creative and, you know, and particularly for young people Chris if you're just hanging around with people who think in the same way how are you going to develop the resilience to live in a, a future world where things are changing fast and you've been invited I mean the, the story about you being invited uh, on a panel to help with the future of English football is quite incredible um, 
And when they were composing this panel, I mean, yeah. a, a, how do you get to be invited? Because you get invited to a lot of these things. And I was reading them thinking, Matthew always gets asked to do this kind of stuff. How come they always come to you for that? And also, uh, when they were composing the panel, they tried to do what you're talking about, the pick, yeah. a, the pick and mix, isn't so it? This was another thing. So I, I get a phone call from a guy called David Sheepshanks, yeah. and he's the head of the advisory board. So we advise Gareth Southgate, the England coach, and Dan Ashworth, who works with the men's and the women's team, to advise on performance and things of that kind. And I turn up to this group, and I was expecting a Harry Redknapp, Tony Pulis, football managers of the old school, who know a lot about football for sure. But there's Manoj Badal, who's the founder of High Tech Startups. There's Tracy Giles, who works on mental toughness in the army. There's Sue Campbell, who helps to run Olympic sports. And it's just this, and, and um, Michael Barber, who was the head of Tony Blair's policy unit. And I'm thinking, what do these people know about football? How are we going to be able to advise Gareth Southgate? And then you get these insights that come from their own unique experiences. And you could see Gareth Southgate's face change because he's like, if I'd been surrounded by Redknapp, Pulis, and other people of that kind, yes, they're very knowledgeable, but they know what I already know. Yeah, yeah. I would say something, they would agree with me, I'd agree with them, and we'd be mirroring each other. And you don't get this cross-pollination that I think is so important for creativity. So, so just for example, from those different people, what kind of insights did Gareth Southgate get? So one of the, I think, the key things was penalty shootout preparation. <laughs> <laughs> da, da, da. But, but it worked, didn't it? It worked. Yeah, well, the, the weird thing is, if you rewind, right, to, to, to Glenn Hoddle, Glenn Hoddle said, you know, in, in English football, it's like you can't practice penalties. You either can do it or you can't do it. What's the point? You've either got the toughness or you haven't. That's ridiculous. Of course you can practice and develop the ability to perform under pressure. Tracy Giles works with the army for exactly this thing, to build the resilience, trying to be composed in positions where your adrenaline might be going through the roof. Yeah, yeah. So that conversation was absolutely brilliant. Dave Brailsford is another person. You know Vassos. Dave Bra- so he's a, he's a cycling coach. Yep. Um, and they're quite sophisticated in how they use big data sets to improve things like diet and nutrition. So do you see what I mean? You're getting all of these new ideas. By the way, Gareth Southgate rejected a lot of them. I mean, the meetings are quite robust. Yeah. But my goodness, the insights that flow yeah. when you're prepared to open yourself and up. And also, better to have them to check out than never have them exactly. at all. Exactly. The book we're talking about, uh, to the author, Matthew Sides, Rebel Ideas. So, Matthew, you've already said to us, beware, um, echo chambers, beware averages. Oh, yeah, beware averages. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So um, there's a very interesting bit bit of research that, you know, say, for example, somebody who was a very big tried on a T-shirt and it it fitted wonderfully and said, you know what, Chris, you should wear this T-shirt. That wouldn't make any sense, would it? Because you're a different dimension to the very big person. And Vassos looking svelte and athletic. Annoyingly svelte. Annoying. It is quite annoying. annoying. Um, But we do this all the time with other things. Like if you take diet, for example... Somebody will try a particular diet and think, oh, isn't it wonderful? Therefore, everyone should use this diet. But we're all different. None of us conform to an average. We have different genetics, different sleep patterns, different metabolisms. We also have different gut microbiomes with all of these different bugs in our stomachs. So I think we're moving more towards personalization. Instead of looking at what somebody else is doing and saying, if that works for them, then it must, by definition, work for me, thinking, actually, you know what? I can go in my own direction and have a distinctive view. Matthew Syed, uh, the power of diverse thing in Rebel Ideas, out now. Matthew, always, literally, 
Genuinely, sincerely, always great to see you. Thank you. Thank you very so much. much. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. He waltzed into the hearts of the nation, winning strictly in 2016 and is steadfastly refusing to sit still. He's now gracing stages across the UK as the elusive Aaron Fox in the musical mystery comedy Curtains. Please welcome the grooviest mover, Ore Aduba. Good morning, Ore. <laughs> Thanks for that. Welcome, like welcome. Um, move, elusive, yeah. So you've done this before because you've been in Greece. Yeah, I had my first musical was in Greece earlier this summer. How was that? Yeah. Brilliant. Was it a blast? It's Greece. People love it. People already <laughs> sing it. People will love it even if you are trash. That's the great thing about it. So for me doing my first one, it was it was great because people were already having a good time before we started. And then they enjoyed it as right, well. Right, so because they know it and they just come for the sing-along. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. So, so which part did you play in Greece? How long were you on stage for? Uh, what did you learn? All those I, things. So I learned loads, actually. That was a thing. I was only in it for five weeks because I was, I was sharing it with Peter Andre, right. as you do, which actually is a sentence... That I never thought I'd get to say, <laughs> sharing a role of Teen Angel with Peter Andre. Um, and and I was just looking to absorb everything, whether it was just, you know, how you prepare yourself, how you get yourself ready uh, every day and every night. And, um, and I went straight from that into rehearsals for Curtain. So I finished two Saturdays ago, and then we started our first day of rehearsals for this show on Monday last week. And and we're in, we're in, and it's amazing. So the producers of Curtains, did they go and see you in Greece? Was was it was the deal already done? No, do you know what? We I I met for both of these roles in the same week, and and got the part. And then as it happened, they were just the the, the timing was perfect because I only needed to do Greece for a certain amount of time, and then we're starting this straight off the back. So this so. is this is all because of Strictly, isn't it? You've got to, we've got to say that, haven't we? Twenty. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the opportunity to do. Do you know what the reason? I was saying to someone, if I hadn't have won the show, I, I don't think I'd be doing this because I wouldn't have had the the gall the shoot to, to go. I'm going to do something very different now. <laughs> Good for you. Because you know, when you when you win it, you can do silly things. Right. You are allowed to. People, the doors open to you. If I hadn't, it would have been like you want to do musicals now. You didn't even win it, mate. So um, so no, strictly happened. I love being on stage. I really enjoyed it. I'm sure you could you could see how much fun I had because normal people with that kind of pressure would just run away. Yeah, yeah. But I actually really enjoyed doing it and I remembered I did a lot of theatre when I was a a schoolboy yeah, yeah. growing up, and I, I realised this is something. So that is I this you now? Is it, are you done now? Are you, are you, is this the new the new side of the tracks? This is an additional side of the tracks. So, so the TV and the radio stuff continues, but yep. this is this is one of the strings that I always wanted to add. Looks on. like it might be the most fun. Mate, I, do you know what? My, my, I come home every night and my wife is like, are you looking forward to going in in the morning? I'm like, I'm really looking forward to going in in the morning. It's just that boyhood like excitement and it's just not, you know, you never work a day if you're doing something that you love doing and yeah. that's, that's after a one week, I can say that I'm loving it. Uh, Ori is going to be starring in this brand new touring production of Curtains. It's a musical mystery comedy. Fill your boots with that one, Ori. <laughs> Give us a gist of what goes on. That's all what people want. It is a, it's a, it's a whodunit comedy musical, yeah. So Jason Manford and I and the wonderful Carly Stenson, who's just finished playing Fontaine in, uh, in Les Mis in, in London, um, and an amazing cast. Obviously, I met most of these guys only last Monday, but they are so talented and they're going to make some serious noise. So essentially, there was a show played within this show. I love we're, those. We're a company that we were all trying to put on this show and we're trying, trying to struggle away to try to get this So the show within show. the show is Robin Hood? Is Robin Hood, right. yeah. It's uh, like a, a Western version of our traditional Robin Hood story. 
And then the third and the last minute, two. Hang on a minute, a Western version I love. Yeah, yeah. So you're in. You're in already. It's already funny, okay. isn't it? Okay, set, set in Kansas. Um, so, um, so in the last scene of that show, one of the cast members is murdered. What, in the, in the show? In the, in the show. Oh, for real? Within the show. Follow. Come on, stay with us here. Okay. So, so we don't do it intentionally. This isn't a real... The real crimes going on here. Right. This is all part of the fun. So within the show. So within the show, and then Jason, <laughs> who plays the Lieutenant Choffy, has to come and try to identify who was the murder murderer, as along with the rest of the cast, as is the audience. So where are you playing? All over. We're opening in Manchester. We're, do, we're doing previews in Bromley for the uh, first week of Lucky October. Bromley. Lucky Bromley getting us first, and then we open in Manchester uh, on the 9th of October, and then and then we're all over the place. How, how long for? It goes till April. It goes till right, April. Well, we're next, back from yeah. Portugal, February, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Um, we can come March. Right? There you go. There you go. Take bring the van. It's a proper run, isn't it? Five months. It's a proper run. I talk, got a break in the middle. I'm doing Panto in Croydon. What? Yeah, I just got <laughs> got something else to do. Which Panto are you doing? Cinderella. Right. At uh, Croydon's Fairfield Halls. Me and Tim Vine are um, no going to bring the fun. So, um, so uh, very gratefully, that was already in, and then the curtains guy said, "Okay, yeah, you can do your panto." There's a Christmas break anyway, and then uh, they will come back in January. You are loving it, aren't you? You can see it in the face. <laughs> I am. I am. It's, it's great. It is. It's great. It's great. It feels like I was a, a kid again when I was doing. Good for you. When mate. I was doing. I'm so pleased with you. What was fun. the What was the first thing you did at rehearsals of, of you know to do with the show itself? I was supposed to meeting everybody and breaking we, the bread. We 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 sung one of the big numbers. Yeah. Um, it's called Show People. Um, and we we sat as a as a whole company of twenty three, and uh, and the musical director wanted us to sort of sit in our vocal ranges. Right. So we wanted the sopranos over here, the altos, tenors, and the baritones, and it felt like being a choir boy again. Was it fun? It was great. <laughs> okay. So songs first, then you block through. Then we block through, and, and we're straight in. Dancing? Uh, any dancing? The da- dancing, dancing. We, we choreographed some of the numbers at the end of last week. Yeah, so don't, it's not like you it's won't the see the doing, It's the full ore. It's the full ore. This is it, isn't it? We're trying to get as much of the package in. <laughs> as much. Jason is the one to be to be completely honest. Who is really pushing the boat out? He's got. He has got everything. He's on stage pretty much throughout the show, and he's singing, and he is dancing, and loves it, and he loves it, and he's tapping. The guy can do it all. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Uh, Dapper Dave, who are we talking to on the radio? He's an author, artist, illustrator, sculptor, and cartographer who sold over twelve million books while. Worldwide and been translated into 45 languages. He really must try harder. His new modern fate day fable, The Fate of Fausto, is out next Tuesday, and here to tell us all about it is the truly outstanding Oliver Jeffers. Good morning. Oh, welcome back to the programme. Good morning, Chris. How are you doing? Good. How are you today? I'm wonderful. <laughs> Let's let, yeah. Should we leave it at that? Yes. <laughs> okay. Right, The Fate of Fausto, another uh, work of art, work of genius, uh, sitting in front of us now. A painted fable by Oliver Jeffers. Um, it's thicker than before it's a longer story than before and um, you, your original audience is is getting older so that would work you're getting more confident so that would also work uh, am i halfway there with the reason for this book? i think so yeah i suppose i haven't tried to describe it like that but it's one of those ones where uh, the, i had the idea for a story and i wasn't exactly sure who it was for so i made it anyway and I made the book exactly the way that I'd want to book it. And there's that classic Morris Sendak saying that, you know, he, he did the Where the Wild Things Are. And, and he says, I don't write books for children. I write books and somebody else says they're for children. Right. And oftentimes I think you can get to the heart and the core of, of the message by not trying to pander to your audience. So I came up with this idea for a story and I went to HarperCollins, my publisher, and I said, I've, I've got this. I don't know if it's a children's book. 
but they went with it and, and I think it is but I also think it's not it's it's a picture book that could be for anybody it's beautiful is what it is again another another as I say another work of art from Olive Jeffers uh, where are you where are you um, with words over pictures because somebody a much wiser person than I once said that the best words create the best pictures and the best pictures inspire the best words well I think the, the relationship between words and pictures is, is one of my favourite things to play with as, as an artist I often don't say that I'm a writer because I, I think visually before I do anything with a written word but interestingly this story was written in its entirety before I even thought about putting pictures to it it was written about five years ago believe it or not it was written before the last book that I had came out uh, which here we are that the guidebook for living on planet earth um, but at the time it felt that here we are was a, a much more important story for, for that moment because it was upbeat and optimistic against all the, the noise and anger and aggression that seemed to be dominating western global politics what do you want to tell us about the book uh, to, to get us to maybe uh, go and find out more about it without giving too much away uh it was really hard to make <laughs> I, I made it on a, on a a uh, classic lithography press in Paris over the, the course of about three months last summer. Uh, and it was a 200-year-old machine that Picasso had used in Murillo and Cezanne back in the day in the, the 16th arrondissement of, of Paris. And I'd never really properly used lithography before. And it's like painting with a four-hour time delay. It None of it turned out the way that I thought it would. It was all these like mildly controlled accidents. Um, but it the, there's a simplicity and an, an economy to the book, I think, because of that. Felt like an old story at the time of writing it, so I, I tried to make it in the style of old books. So it, it, hopefully when people pick it up, they'll not know whether it was published this year or, or 60 years ago or 80 years ago. Right, which is good for the for the story in the book. I think so, yeah. Looking forward, Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. And I know that Oliver Jeffers fans need no convincing. Uh, this will be straight off the shelves and straight into a kid's bedroom near you. And you were reading Oliver Jeffers to your youngest last night? Yes, Mary uh, has, as always, the choice of whatever story she'd like from her kind of bedside bookcase. And she chose The Way Back Home and she chose Lost and Found. And I was marvelling as I was reading, because obviously it's not the first time we've read those stories. Um, I was marvelling, Oliver, at your your choice of words and the beautiful kind of almost poetic simplicity of, I mean, how long does it take you to choose? How, how many sort of rewrites of those? A, a lot. To do something with very few words, it takes yeah. an awful lot of work to get there to strip everything back. Um, and that, that balance between words and pictures is one of the most important. And for my books, I would rather show it than say it. So the, the words really just become this skeleton to hold the emotion of the story together that is being told through the pictures. So the, the, there, And there's a rhythm to it. There's always a rhythm in it. They're meant to be read out loud. That, that's the idea. And Chris, I know that you've got a, a relationship with that book because you and, 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 and <laughs> your favourite book in the world. <laughs> yeah. but it doesn't always occur to me to read my own books to my kids. Like I actually only read The Way Back Home to my son for the first time about four months ago The Way Back Home is fantastic yeah. and uh, and I don't think I've read all my books to, to my children I, I let them pick whatever books they want to they don't always go for mine which is, what, what, about what other books do they like? They well my, my, like? <clears throat> the, the little one she's only one so she doesn't speak English yet but the uh, my, my boy he tends to pick 
books with dinosaurs or diggers in them. He's at that age. Uh, I think he's listening right now, so <laughs> I'll not offend him. Uh, so, Ollie, what about your story? Okay, so, so I, you know I love you, I adore you, and I, I, I massively respect what you do. Um, and again, you come in here with tales of inspiration. So with a four-year-old and one-year-old in a happy marriage, you've decided to take a year off, but you're not sitting back, you're not flying and flopping. You're flying, but you're going around the world with your family for a yeah, year. Yeah, we're travelling. We're well gonna, done to you. We're going to travel, and it, it might be insanity. I don't know. We haven't worked that part out yet. Life is insane anyway. Yeah, yeah. So make the most of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we realised that we've got this this one last window before our oldest one has to start school. And I was like, if we're going to do it, we may as well. This is the last window. And I've, I've always thought that there's two sorts of people. There's those who talk about doing something, and there's those who actually do it. And I know which camp I firmly stand in. Um, we're not that long into it. We're six weeks in. Uh, and even just the, the notion of stopping work and letting empty thoughts or, or, or just some silence into your brain is is a massively impactful thing Oliver lovely to see you again yeah you too Chris uh, well done it's it's a book that's uh, moved on from the others um, just because of, of the stories of the various Oliver Jeffers stories momentum stories in the plural there uh, this is the latest uh, it's it's different it's as good as the as the rest uh, The Fate of Fausto a painted fable by Oliver Jeffers and it's out now The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio Thank you so much much for listening to this the podcast of the virgin radio breakfast show don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our virgin radio breakfast show with sky hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.